0: Welcome back to Desert Island Dishes. My castaway this week is my very good friend, Struan Robertson. Struan is the head butcher and co-owner of the Provenance Meat Company. Struan gave up his job in advertising to train as a butcher, and then, after honing his butchery skills, he went on to co-found the award-winning butcher, Provenance. They have just opened their third store in London, which, in less than four years, is quite remarkable. I've known Struan for a long time now, and he's one of the nicest and most hardworking people I know. So it was actually a real treat to get to sit down with him and ask him the sorts of questions we probably don't ask our friends enough. Hi, Struan. Hey, Margie. Welcome to my glamorous recording studio, otherwise known as my car. So... That's great.
1: Thanks for hoovering beforehand.
0: <laughs> You're very welcome. So, I just want to dive straight in and ask: Let's do it. Had being a butcher always been something you thought about doing?
1: No, I don't think many children grow up thinking about being a butcher, <laughs> to be honest. But it was once I settled on the idea, then I realized it was really appropriate for what I wanted to do in food. Yeah. It has like a really nice mix of things. It has. The science element of it, you know, you have to understand the physiology of the animal, you have to understand food safety, you know, you have to know how to do some pretty complex and skilled work. Yeah. But you balance that with some creativity in creating products, working out recipes for your sausages and the display element of the business, putting stuff in the case, you know, you're effectively displaying a load of dead animal meat. <laughs> you know how it is. And, uh, you know, is has a short shelf life and making someone walk in and think, wow, I really want to eat that i want to cook that
0: yeah that's so true
1: uh and then the third element of it is you're talking to people all the time it's not being a charcutier or a chef or somewhere where you're in the kitchen and you're just working with your team yeah you're communicating with people over the counter all the time consulting with them about what they want to eat getting to know people making friends and yeah. so you got this really nice balance between the three i don't think i could do any of one of them exclusively but butchery allows you to do all three
0: yeah i remember when I first met you, it was really early on, and you said that you had thought about being a chef, and then you sort of moved away from that and became a butcher. Was that something that you toyed with, or?
1: Yeah, I think, I don't, don't, I'm not a chef, you know, I couldn't be a chef, I think I'm I'm definitely a cook, I'm literally an eater, and I like, (laughs) you know, I mean, I much prefer that word to being a foodie. Oh,
0: yes, Uh, eater. Foodie,
1: like, makes my skin crawl. Yep. But you know, being an eater and being passionate about food and being a food professional—you
0: <laughs> can't use eater as like an actual thing now. Yeah, like, I think you can.
1: Easter. I think you can. Do you listen to Let's the? make it a thing. Do you listen to the Serious Eats podcast? Yes. Okay, so that's yeah, that's not true. for foodies. It's for eaters.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's true.
1: I think this, this, foodie is not the right word because it, it, foodie implies it's a uh, bit pretentious. Implies pretension or like exclusivity, and everybody eats.
0: Yeah, no, that's so true, and, and that know, is you, what this podcast is all about.
1: Everybody poops. Everybody. It- eats. <laughs>
0: Not two things I would like to Well, they to are kind of connected. It's true. <laughs> Let's move on. Something I did wonder was when, I guess you kind of touched on it in your first answer, but when you decided to be a butcher, was the plan always that you'd have your own butchery? Or did you ever just think you're going to train, you'll become a butcher, and then you'll kind of see where that leads you? I'd love to
1: say I had, yeah, more of a plan, but I didn't really. I just took, I took the opportunity to leave what I was doing in advertising. Yeah, go and spend a year away immersing myself in food production yeah. in a really low pressure environment so there was no end game to it apart from you know, I knew I wanted to work in food at the other end of it sure and then even when I finished I still didn't really know I wanted to do retail butchery um but then opportunities present themselves and you kind of have to grab it otherwise you go with the flame yeah otherwise you find yourself Not having done anything and back in an office job. (laughs) Yeah. Before you realise, and that was the one promise I made to myself. I made a few like things that I wanted to come out of my year of training, and some of them were very, very big, and some of them were very, very small. So like the small ones were not go back into an office job. Yeah. To work in food, you know, that's relatively small. And then this sounds incredibly pretentious or or self-aggrandising. Anywhere that's drawn. I wanted to be able to change how people in the UK ate. Wow, that's amazing. It doesn't have to be everybody in the UK. Yeah. And I think we're doing that with Provenance. You know, we're changing how people buy meat, our customers buy meat, definitely, yeah. and how they interact with people in the retail butchery environment, which,
0: yeah. you know, I definitely get people
1: want, to experiment and that sort of I thing. I
0: definitely want to touch on that later on, but this seems like a good moment to... Oh, yeah.
1: For the first question.
0: For the first. I've
1: chosen Elvis Presley. 1st uh... <laughs> your
0: first... <laughs> You're on the wrong show. Oh, I um, will. So your first One dish day. of the day is the dish that most reminds you of your childhood.
1: All right. So I think the dish that reminds me most of my childhood is, is not a meat dish. So it's not going to be a steak that inspired me to be a butcher. <laughs> for me, it's fish and chips. Food, for me, especially eating out and eating with people, is all about memory and context. Yeah. So for me, fish and chips is like with my dad, having just got it from the fish and chip shop, either in front of the TV or occasionally on like a family holiday on a bench in front of the sea. Yeah. Um, yeah and that's, that's like a, a real food memory. I think, I think you're probably going to ask me some questions about like the best dish ever or the most memorable thing that I've eaten. Um, and quite often it's all about the people I've eaten it with Definitely. the time that I've eaten it rather than you know an isolated dish it's it, it's got to work in the context of everything around it I think one of the things I learned when I was working in advertising and in sales and that sort of stuff so I was taking people out and entertaining yeah um that so you can be eating a great you can be sat in St John having a killer bottle of wine and eating an amazing meal but the guy you're with is an idiot and you're laughing at his jokes because you want him to give you your you his money or yeah. his business's money. And that food does not have the impact yeah, that's that it so could true. if you were sat with a great friend catching up or something like that. So,
0: you're such a wise old with I am but old. W- um, with, the fish and ch- with the fish and chips, what, what is your order?
1: Oh, large cod, large chips, curry sauce.
0: <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> what, okay. scraps if so, they have them. And what about mushy peas? Yeah, I could go mushy peas if you yeah. have to. Uh, battered sausage? No. 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 It's got to be, you
1: know, fish and chips is a real leveler. In terms of you can go to a really smart fish and chip shop, you can go to a really basic one if they're using fresh cod, proper batter and they're cooking their chips right. That's it. It's yeah. ingredients led cooking. Definitely. That's know. so
0: true. Um. So going back to when you said that you took a year to learn mm. your skills as a butcher, what does that involve?
1: Well, I went to a place called the School of Artisan Food, very yeah. pretentiously named. Okay. <laughs> they could have called it the School that's for Artisan a Foodies.
0: sort of a theme here. So uh, yeah, <laughs> I know.
1: I went there for a year to study the charcuterie and butchery course. I majored in that and I minored in cheese making. Okay. Yeah, that's right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but what, so if someone out there is thinking that they might like to train as a butcher, what What? Means? Well, I,
1: can't actually do that course anymore it only ran for two years and then they okay. realized that uh it so probably are, wasn't the right thing what
0: are the other routes is it one of those like
1: the traditional route is you know you start young like as a saturday boy yeah. doing some sweeping and some cleaning and 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 then you work your way into the business and start as an apprentice yeah which is a great way to do it and i think we need to encourage more young people 16 17 18 who maybe aren't academic but are still smart because you can't be stupid to work in butchery. Well, I mean, if you want to just be like hack and slash and in and, sure. you know, abattoir work, you don't have to be bright. But to run, you're effectively, yeah, you know, you're when running you're, running, you're running a small business, you know, when you're, when you're managing a butcher shop. Uh, yeah. And there's loads of numbers involved in it. But I would say, yeah, start young. If you're a career changer like me, you just have to dive in at the bottom and not get paid very much for a little while. Yeah, And then you grow into it and you prove your worth. I mean, so we have three people in their late 20s to mid 30s all on apprenticeship schemes at provenance they're all adults they're all career changers. but we want to give them the proper legitimate grounding in butchery as well yeah as well as bringing them up the provenance way and teaching them how we do things and, and then you learn from all the people around you but yeah i think it's just dive in
0: That's great advice, Struan. Thanks, Margie. So (laughs) so moving on to your second dish of the day. Yeah. I want to know what was the first dish you learned to cook? I think that's
1: quite hard to pinpoint. My mum cooked a lot when when I was growing up. We had like always had other people living in the house. So like either secretarial students or language students who lived in a big house in Cambridge. And my mum did a job. She was nursing and then also catering for all these people living in the house. So I really learned to cook at my mother's elbow. So I don't. You know, I, I never had a recipe written down. I just observed and learned. So it's probably something like scrambled eggs, something really simple.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and I don't think I cook it like now, like I used to then. Ooh.
0: So what a, what's your technique? Oh,
1: it's hard. I've been influenced by, oh. uh, by outside sources. I read <laughs> Tim, uh, Tim Hayward was saying the other day, no salt, no pepper, oh. no cream, just eggs, really low heat constant gentle yeah, whisking
0: low and slow yeah
1: that is the tempo but no
0: no seasoning that's interesting no
1: seasoning till afterwards see i always thought you put a little mm. bit of salt in and it helps the egg whisk into that nice uniform yellow color
0: yeah
1: it breaks it down breaks the proteins down easier i think which is a similar way to break down the proteins and when you make sausage by adding salt you break down the myoprite- proteins to create something called mycin which gives it like that emulsion that mix.
0: Struan, and you are not just a pretty face. Not just a hat stand
1: <laughs> but I don't know apparently so I've been doing it like that but I think it was probably a little quicker not saying my mum is a slapdash chef no. <laughs> but she was feeding a lot of people. Sure, So difference. I think something like that maybe the first proper thing that I learned to do as I'm like specifically told how to do it was how to cook out a proper roux as a Ooh. base for a white yep. sauce. Yeah, You know and that's still something I use today in loads of cooking when yeah. I'm making a lasagna or Anything like yeah, that? Yeah, once it's a great you know how.
0: Yeah, once you know how to make a roux, yeah, actually, you, quite a few things open up. To
1: into you a bechamel know. or into whatever else you're doing.
0: Oof. Um, so I still
1: never cook out the flour long enough.
0: No, I'm too impatient. A, <laughs> yeah, it takes way longer than you think. <laughs> so we lived together right at the start of Providence, and we did. I I saw how hard you worked. It was six days a week, umpteen hours a day for over a year. But I just wondered, from your point of view. What was the hardest part of setting up the business?
1: Ooh, the work was fine. The hours were fine because Tom and I, my business partner, you know, were pulling the same shift. I yeah. think if you were on your own, it'd be really difficult to motivate yourself some days, but having someone else, your equal, banging away at it as well really helped. Sure. The hardest thing for setting up, other than finding the location.
0: Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. How long did that take?
1: We got really lucky. We just knocked on doors. Until someone gave us a hint that someone else was going out of business or was short on their rent, and then
0: we sort of swooped. Yeah, what was What was it before? It wasn't. It was a really nice little Italian
1: cafe. Okay. It wasn't bad. They did a particularly nice polenta orange and honey cake, as I remember.
0: <laughs> when you were doing your. When I was doing my scouting, yeah.
1: <laughs> in fact, someone came in like a couple of years ago and was like, did there used to be a cafe here? We're like, yeah, yeah did. He goes, I proposed to my wife in the back there. Aww. I was like, it's a fridge now. <laughs> sorry mate
0: welcome to take a a look something i've always wondered about butchers is do butchers? it's
1: true what they say
0: (laughs) (laughs) do butchers like it when people come in and ask for their advice on what to cook or how to cook it
1: yeah i think that's that's key to the whole thing is that it's a consultation because quite often quite often people are wrong if they just come in they're like you know i want this because and then you say oh what are you making and they say oh I'm making a stew I was like please don't buy fillet steak (laughs) to make a stew (laughs) that's help you but that's that's you know there's that traditional barrier of like you go into a butcher shop and I think a lot of people think I'm gonna either make a fool of myself Mm. or get ripped off here so I need to you know be strong and make a statement about it was actually you know what behind the potentially gruff blood-stained exterior and the people who really (laughs) like food and really want like people as well you can't work in a butcher shop and hate people it won't last
0: Mm. and it's i guess it's interesting for you guys to know what people are cooking and what they're doing with what they're buying and i get
1: inspired by it all the time people come in and say oh i'm gonna do this i'm like i'm gonna do that yeah
0: i always like as a chef i always come in and ask the butcher what i should be doing and how i should be cooking like i definitely not something to be embarrassed about no it's
1: it's not all. if you have to think we've tried to shift provenance to be more of a consultative cell so instead of asking someone what would you like we say what are you cooking or well, how many people are you cooking for what's your budget what's your what's your time scale you yeah, know that's... and then you're getting so I, I equate it to wine in the you know you go to a sommelier I'm not particularly knowledgeable about wine I'm one of those people that says I know what I like and I like what I know but really I just want someone to like guide me and sell me the story and tell yeah. me you know it's oh this little winemaker and he's been doing it he's fourth generation and that sort of thing and we can talk about the provenance of where it's come from and then say well this is appropriate for that because it's it needs a long slow cook and that's going to work for a stew or you don't need to mince sirloin because the time you've minced it you use the chuck it's going to make the same great burgers yeah
0: no that's so true i think that's what makes provenance different and really great
1: I don't think it. May, I don't think it's entirely unique. Other people are doing it, but I think we are the way you the guys, go about doing. The guys it. in the team are great at it. Yeah,
0: that's, that's the most important true. thing, and
1: that's the most. That's the like really the defining point of our business is the people that work in the business. Yeah, all the guys in all the shops.
0: But so often that is what it comes down to in any business, isn't it? It's the people.
1: If you stick to your principles of having good suppliers and keeping your shop clean and well. making it look nice and. <laughs> you know, working on your pricing, then really your point of difference is the faces that yeah. have kind of come in. And we're very lucky. People have been in our business a long time. Dan, the guy that runs our Notting Hill store, has been there for four years since the day we opened the doors. And he runs a show and he's a bit of a face around Notting Hill. He's yeah. a personality. People know who he is and come to see him. Yeah, he's kind he, of a big deal. He's kind of <laughs> a big man on campus.
0: <laughs> well, that seems like a good moment to ask you about your third dish of the day. Yeah. What's the best dish you've ever eaten?
1: Oh, quite often it's like the last great meal that I've had. If someone says, you know, what have you eaten? What's been, what's blown your mind recently? So I guess Tig and I, Tig's my wife, for those that don't know. Tig will be listening, so she'll know who she is. (laughs) She took me to Jason Atherton's new Japanese joint in Farringdon.
0: What was it like?
1: She took me to the chef's (gasps) table bit. So 10 of us around the table, it was like a, I think like an omokase menu. So it's just whatever the chef makes, 15 tiny little courses, mostly vegetable driven which is great when we eat out i try and eat fish and vegetables as much as possible yeah because i feel like most of the time i can do not necessarily a better job at cooking it but probably better quality meat than most restaurants because i'm hand selecting it and there was a dish which was like a 20 hour griddle so on a very low heat over open flame griddle and it was just a cabbage it's a cabbage called a january king which only really is available January and early February. It's okay. a UK grown, very very hyper seasonal. I think is the term.
0: Yeah.
1: In fact, Natura, the guys next door to us, sold it, and I, I bought some. And it was just slow griddled for so long that it started to break down in the middle. And inside, it was like stringy, like okra goes when you slow cook it. Yeah. And you're eating like bindi baji, buttery and rich and well seasoned, and it's just real simplicity, real allowing the ingredient to speak for yeah. itself. Yeah.
0: Wow. I don't think my mouth has ever salivated at the thought of a cabbage before it's quite unsettling to
1: see (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and then i guess before that we went to the ledbury earlier in the year for a lunch brett's cooking there is like amazing astounding it's just pitch perfect right across and there was a pigeon dish which really made you sit up and be like that is incredible but i guess like also some of those dishes like make you laugh they're like that's so inventive and so original and that's not an emotion you get from food all that much it's like this is hilariously good yeah uh and that's a really good thing yeah that's a really good rather than just being impressed or this is super rich or this is super spicy it's like we need to be
0: aiming for more funny funny food (laughs) my next question (laughs) (laughs) my next question is relating to what i was asking you before about them customers what's the strangest thing you've been asked by a customer a couple of weeks ago
1: someone came in and People often start with a, this is a strange request. I
0: okay, I've done that before. But
1: you probably have. And, you know, sometimes it's for like pig's blood or a pig's head. And that's not a strange request. Okay. Blood's really hard to get. But, you know, offal and other bits and bobs of animals, it's fine. There's a Greek person that asked for lamb's lungs for a really traditional Greek Easter soup, which I think they're going to bring me some in next Easter. We found a way to get them.
0: Fingers crossed. Yeah, lucky us.
1: <laughs> I'm sure it'd be great. I don't mind eating all the offal. Someone came in the other day and said, I have a, like a Nebuchadnezzar of rosé wine that can't fit in our fridge and we chill it in your, in your walk-in. Okay. And so they came and picked up, I think it was like a 24 or 28 bottle bottle. Oh my God. Like a giant thing. So like, a were,
0: Jerobo- no, like
1: a double Jeroboam, no, like. I think it's a Nebuchadnezzar. I think that's the biggest. And you know, it's sort of up to my waist height.
0: So did you say yes? But we charge ten percent. Yeah.
1: No, it was great. So it's stuff like that, and we try and be a proper village butcher, so people can come in and ask us stuff that's outside of our remit. Yeah, I guess. So, yeah, that's
0: nice that people feel like they can ask you random.
1: Yeah, stuff like that no, we're not just a. You know, I don't think people go into Starbucks and say, "Oh, can you?" I don't think so.
0: No. I mean, the reaction you get when you try to go to the loo there if you haven't bought a coffee. No, I wouldn't no. ask him yeah. to store my bottle of wine. Exactly. Um. So I have maybe a silly question, but great, I like silly. <laughs> do you, okay, and obvi- obviously you're a you know fine specimen of a human and peak physical condition. But do you, have, you. Does one <laughs> does you can pay? Lucky it's chair. a podcast,
1: so you can't. <laughs> no one can refute that.
0: Does one have to be physically fit to be a butcher?
1: No, I don't think so. I think you've got to be able to stand up a lot. You've got to yeah. be on your feet all day, so you yeah. can't be in really bad nick. But, but surely
0: there's quite a lot of lifting and big cuts of... I don't know, maybe that's, Maybe I'm going to sound ridiculous but, saying that. But it just looks very physically demanding.
1: Lifting, yeah, I guess so. But you don't... You're normally in a team, so, you, you know, the, someone can do a bit of the lifting and someone else can do more of something else. We have a pretty diverse set of staff, you know, yeah. we try and encourage women into the business yeah, wherever gonna, possible I was so, gonna
0: ask you that because obviously what I was thinking is probably very sexist that it's quite a male-dominated industry and I wondered whether that was to do with the physicality of it but maybe maybe I'm completely wrong and it's it's not
1: no I don't think you're completely wrong I think it is still a male-dominated industry there are more and more women coming into it all the time we'd all you know we'd we like having a gender balance yeah in the business but you know we've had Rachel, who managed the store in Notting Hill before Dan, she was just about five foot and she just gets on and does what she can. And if someone needs to lift something heavy, it would be stupid to ask her to do it. Mm-hmm. So someone else does it. So
0: for all those budding female butchers out there.
1: Come on. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, seriously, it's, it's, it's a great industry for anyone to be in yeah. because of the skill stuff and the, the cooking. And, and like I said before, it's really varied. It's not exclusively male anymore. Yeah.
0: Are there any parts of the job that you dread or that you just really don't enjoy? I know that.
1: No, oh, I don't think so. That's I don't mind getting my hands in the suds and doing some washing up. No, it's all good. Really, it's varied. There's no. I mean, there's more. There's more fun bits and less fun bits, but it's all so pretty good. So, what's the less fun bit? The stuff that's related to the sort of boring, mechanical kind of stuff. So. I'd rather not have to count the cash at the end of the day. Okay, yeah, so that kind of thing. thing. Okay. But in terms of, you know, the the core stuff of butchery, yeah, it's all good.
0: That's so good, Struhan. There
1: you go. Well, you've got to love what you do, right? You do.
0: Otherwise, what's the point? Quite right. So, Struhan, the fourth dish of the day, what is your favourite sandwich?
1: I love a sandwich. Uh, Who doesn't? Who doesn't? It's Yeah, it's portable, great food.
0: Okay, uh, you're not selling sandwiches, just one. Guys, if you haven't had a sandwich, <laughs> let me tell you. Portable food, <laughs> just what is your favourite one? There is a
1: sandwich joint in Covent Garden called Earl's, right on the corner of a little road next to 10 Cases, mm-hmm. which is a great restaurant. And they do one in there called the Vala mm. which is like a soft bun, chicken escalop, ham, cheese like gruyere cheese and uh pizza sauce Oof. and then all melty and it's like a big old door wedge of a feast wow it's like a chicken parma but in a sandwich that
0: sounds That's pretty good yeah that sounds it's pretty amazing. good and you can
1: put some rocket on there if you want to make it healthy yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. So add fine. some greenery one and of again that's a day. <laughs> yeah when i
1: worked in when i worked in that part of town in an office three the three guys around the table would be like right Let's go and get a Balatostar. It's a Friday afternoon. Mm. That's lunch. So that there's context like, to it again as well. But yeah, yeah,
0: that sounds like a very good tradition. So something I was thinking was that Provenance so quickly became part of the community, especially mm-hmm. I saw firsthand with the first store in Portobello. And you have so many regular customers. You're kind of left feeling, how could there not have been a butcher there before? Are you surprised at how seamlessly you do seem to fit into the communities you end up in? I wouldn't
1: say I'm surprised because I think it's, I think people have just forgotten that there used to be a butcher on like the corner of every other road right across every town in the UK. You know, they fell away and then, you know, they're on the rise again.
0: When did they fall away?
1: So I guess it was the advent of the big multiples, you know, the big supermarkets. And also there's lots of challenges in, you know, for everybody, including the supermarkets and food, of people are spending proportionally much less of, their pay packet on food yeah. every month food has stayed pretty cheap while you know everything else has gone up and up and up i think it was 1970 there was something like 2000 plus butchers across the uk and then something like 10 years later it, it down to 600 or something oh, really like yeah there was a big big fall off and also the you know butchery there's not this backfill of young people coming into it to keep it going and so there will be shops with an old guy who'd run it his whole life and he didn't have someone to pick up, take the mantle over. Yeah, that's interesting. Keep it going.
0: I always think it must be really lovely. And you've already kind of said this to be part of someone's routine, whether it's weekly or daily, the customers that you have Mm. coming in. Is that your favourite part of the job? Or what is your favourite part of the job?
1: I don't know. I think I, I don't have one specific favourite part because that would be unfair on all the other parts. <laughs> the uh, no, but, You know, people coming into the shop, especially Notting Hill where we've been for a long time, we've seen people come in, having just moved to the country from a different country and since then they've had two kids and we're still part of their yeah, weekly routine and we know their so nice. kids and we've seen them grow up. We've seen, we've made friends over the counter. You know, I can count a couple of people that I genuinely hang out with who I met through serving the meat and that's, that's great. So and I know nice. other guys had the same thing. And so, yeah. yeah, meeting the people's... A
0: bond like that is hard to break.
1: It is a bond <laughs> like that. Wow, that was very serious. <laughs> uh, you could have gone down like the meat eat pun. Oh, that would have been uh, so much better. I'm not a big, I'm not a big you're, fan of you're meat funnier, puns.
0: You're funnier than me. Yeah, we know. So, Strum, your fifth dish of the day. Yes. What is the dish you eat the most often?
1: I think it's probably something really simple like a bacon sandwich. Probably have one every weekend.
0: Okay, talk me through Uh,
1: it. It's two bits of bread.
0: (laughs) Is it white (laughs) bread or brown
1: bread? It's whatever we have, but normally a sourdough.
0: Oh, yes. I'm
1: very lucky in that working in food means I never really ever go to the supermarket. So it's never, you know, the sliced white or anything like that. We have a great bakery next door to this shop. And pretty much everywhere you go, there's a good bakery around. And you can naturally make friends with those sort of people. Yeah. there's maybe a little bit of reciprocal discounting, especially with bakeries. They, the bread, that they don't sell it by the end of the day. Yeah.
0: They've got to give it away. It's a good place to hang out. It's a great place
1: to hang out around 7 o'clock at, yeah. uh, on Pavilion Road.
0: Okay, but back to the bacon sandwich. Are we at sourdough? Bread, toasted. Toasted? Good okay. butter. Yeah.
1: Ideally unpasteurized, you know, like proper butter.
0: Salted? And then if you
1: can only get supermarket butter, Kerrygold, which is grass-fed. Salted? salted yeah Yeah. of course as much salt as possible yeah okay rind on smoked streaky bacon cooked nice and crispy and then i also get the rinds from all of my wife's bacon (laughs) uh and a bit of red sauce and you're there
0: as in ketchup yeah okay sorry (laughs) uh that sounds delicious
1: grand right lots of butter
0: yeah that butter is the key to most things i feel
1: that's the chef's secret ingredient, isn't it? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Salt is. and butter.
0: Don't tell any like, Don't tell everyone. Edit that
1: out.
0: <laughs> Obviously the meat that you get at a butcher's is just a billion times more flavorful and delicious than supermarket meat. But it is undeniably a little bit more expensive. So do you have any tips for people on a budget who really want to get out of the supermarket way of shopping and to start shopping at butchers like
1: yeah i think i think the the thing to do is again just to ask because there's always stuff that is inexpensive
0: yeah
1: if you want if you're limited to chicken breast fillet and fillet steak it's going to be more expensive sure naturally but you know i would say the difference between really good freshly minced whole chuck as opposed to the mince you buy in a supermarket you can use much less of it and it's going to give you a lot more
0: for it uh, You know, or I, I I, genuinely do feel like people underestimate the difference in the, in the difference the, in quality yeah, and the taste of your cooking, therefore.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, I totally understand if you are on an incredibly strict budget and you have to feed your family and you have fussy kids yeah. then, and you're short on time. There's no point in saying everyone in the world has to cook from scratch and eat it, buy from a butcher shop yeah. and from independent retailers, because I think that's that's offensive because people are trying. Yeah. But if you want to reduce your impact in a number of ways, like there's less packaging involved if buying from a butcher shop, there's probably less logistics. The meat's probably come less far. The animals have probably been reared better and probably had a better slaughter process as well. That's not exclusively. There are some great, you know, the supermarkets are doing it the right way. Morrisons have their own abattoirs. People like Waitrose get all their meat from just one company and they buy pretty well too. Yeah. Their priority is price and consistency. And, you know, our priority is is quality and and consistency as well. But, yeah, just ask. So, you know, cook drumsticks instead of chicken breast or use chicken wings or, you know, take a whole roast chicken and learn how to make stock out of it to make it learn, come, you know, go last another day. Or if you want to eat steak, you don't have to eat fillet, ribeye and sirloin. You can eat a bivette or onglet at a really great price. And ask your butcher and they should tell you how to cook it.
0: What is your favorite unfashionable cut of meat?
1: <laughs> it's such a hard question to say what you know, what's your favorite cut, or people ask me that a lot, and it's generally I can look in the case and be like, Well, that ribeye looks killer, so yeah. I, that's the one I take home right now.
0: I but unfashionable, like... as in like, I don't know, like awful or something that people I'd, I'd say, Why'd I say all
1: that stuff is fashionable oh, is it? now? Oh, you know, sorry. like. <laughs> well, no, no, no. But you know what I mean. It's like saying, you know, no, that's true. It's everybody's it's to their taste. If you're talking about like alternative cuts, then I love slow cooking. Yeah. So a braised piece of shin is fantastic. It's not too fatty, but it's got loads of collagen in it. But I'd probably throw a bit of short rib in there as well to get some fat too. Yeah. But I think. No,
0: that's like, a good. Do you know what I think
1: is super undervalued is what you can do with really good mints, like a great chili. Yes. A great lasagna. A great. Bolognese. Um, I just like eating bolognese on toast Oof, with yes. a bit of parmesan over oh, yeah, the top.
0: Definitely. Dish number six, drum. Yeah. What is your go-to dinner party dish?
1: Probably just steak cooked outside on my barbecue. Oh yeah, especially this time the of famous year. Famous barbecue on the big green egg because it's pretty easy. And yeah, I know I'm getting the good stuff.
0: About the barbecue, I feel like I'm a bit scared of using the barbecue, and I feel like.
1: Your barbecue, l-
0: or just barbecues in general, I, they scare me a little bit. Just I don't know, like I'm not practiced at using them, and I think it's watching my dad sort of cremate sausages. What What are your barbecuing tips, or is it actually quite easy? I
1: think it's pretty easy. I mean, it, you're right because you don't do it very often. It, it can seem a bit intimidating. Definitely, one of my tips is stand back when you open the lid of your big green egg because I set my hair and <gasps> beard on fire the other day, which was.
0: Well, you still quite look like a thing. you have quite yeah, we, a got little
1: on? wispy bit. Oh yeah, yeah, there oh my you go. Drew. I'm hiding it, so it looks like new growth. You're lucky;
0: you still have your eyebrows.
1: I, only just, <laughs> only just, and I don't, you know, I, uh, yeah. It okay, was, so that's that was your number one close tip. one thing.
0: Stand back.
1: Was, yeah, open flames.
0: Well, yeah, you have to be careful.
1: Uh, other than that, just let your coals cook down until they're white and they're not smoking, because that smoke coming off it is kind of dirty smoke, and that will taint your food. So let them cook out for longer until they're nice and cool. And then don't, not cool, sorry, what's the word? Cooler. Yeah, cooler. (laughs) And then if you've got a lid, you can start stuff off on the high heat. And if you think that's going to burn, move it onto a cooler area, close the lid and let it cook like an oven. Okay. And just be patient, I guess, because you need to wait until the coals are at an even temperature. You don't need to cook stuff as quickly as possible. Yeah, Slow and steady. Slow and steady wins the race. Or low and slow, even better.
0: (laughs) We've already done that with the scrambled egg. We can't use that. (laughs) Or,
1: you know, big experimental. You've the internet, so it gives you literally all the information you could ever want. So try stuff like cooking steak uh, dirty style, so straight on the coals. So once the coals are down to that sort of white with a little bit of a glow, just put your steak straight on there. Okay. And treat it like a frying pan. And then you just brush off a little bit of the coal, but none of it really sticks to it because it sears the outside. And then you get a real char grilled flavor. As long as you've got long is. tongs, so you're not trying to flip it with a fork, uh,
0: no it'd be all right. Long tongs. Okay. Yeah, that's and a tongs. very good tip. Thanks, Drew. So what's next for Provenance? You've got three stores now yeah. in less than four years, which is pretty incredible. Is world domination next on the list?
1: Uh, Yeah, we're looking at moving into the UN and taking over the world. <laughs> I don't know, really. We just want to keep making good shops that people want to shop at. Yeah. Full of nice people and good meat. Sounds like an
0: excellent plan. Keeping it simple. And so with that strewn, it's dish number seven. The last dish you would eat before being cast off to the desert island.
1: Now, this is an easy one because I think People always come and go, you know, what would be your death row yeah. dish? And I guess this is kind of like your death row dish. Yeah,
0: just a bit less morbid. Yeah.
1: It's got to be a full English, Ooh. like a proper full English. That for me is, you know, I know there's not complex cooking and I know it's a lot of grease and stodge, but
0: it's your last meal. That's it. Exactly. So, what, so what are we having?
1: Bacon, poached eggs, I think. Okay. Poached eggs, maybe some scrambled as well if we're Why going not? all out. You yep. know, it's going to be a long journey. <laughs> Sausages, black pudding. Yep. White pudding. Yep. Mushrooms, no tomato. Okay. Beans on the side. Yep. Loads of white toast. Yep. A couple of hash browns, maybe controversial. <laughs> and loads of Milky Builders tea.
0: Oof, that sounds amazing. Doesn't I was going to ask.
1: I presume there's been like a sending off party the oh, night before. Okay, So yeah. it's also balancing out a pretty solid so hangover. Okay.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Two birds, one stone. There you go. Okay, so I guess, I mean, is a pudding inappropriate at breakfast? I mean, it's your last it meal.
1: Maybe I, just I a bit of Nutella to put on the last slice oh, of toast. You are
0: so There you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so much for letting us hear. It's a pleasure. Desert Island Dishes, I hope it's, it's, lots I hope of it's ins- better
1: than all the other ones you've yeah. done. <laughs> <laughs> not saying they're bad.
0: <laughs> <laughs> lots of inspira- meaty inspiration.
1: Great. Thanks, sure. Margie.
0: Thanks. So that was Struan's Desert Island Dishes. So fun being able to interview your friend, and I love the idea of being an eater, not a foodie. I definitely think I fall into that category too. I loved his tip about not being afraid to ask your butcher for advice and tips. If you don't already, you can follow me on Instagram or Twitter at MadeByMargie. So do come and say hi. And you can find Struan on Instagram or Twitter at ProvenanceButcher. And if you enjoyed listening, please do subscribe to the podcast. It would also mean the absolute world if you felt like leaving a review. It's really quick and easy to do and it really, really helps me to find new listeners. Thank you. Until next time, bye and thanks for listening.